Welcome to the podcast of Okotoks Calvary Fellowship. Please enjoy as Pastor John opens up the word. Okay, well, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 John. Way back near the end of your Bible, one of the last few books. And we're going to continue our study this morning. And we're going to look at a passage that is just so rich and full. We could easily camp for many, many weeks and still not unwrap it all. So let's dive right in and we'll see what the Lord has for us today. John, 1 John chapter 1 beginning at verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. Now, this is just pure gold. I mean, there is just so much for us to consider here. And the very first thing that I want you to notice is found in verse 5. It says, this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. Friends, John is not making this all up. He was a first-hand eyewitness to this. You know, sometimes... You get together with people and you begin to discuss some of the deep things in life. You know, about God or religion or spirituality. And someone will invariably say, well, I think God is like this. Have you ever had that happen to you? Have you ever said that yourself? (laughs) Can I just share with you something? Who cares what any of us think? What matters is how the living God has revealed Himself to man. My personal opinion, your personal opinion, doesn't amount to much, does it? But what does matter is what God has revealed to us about Himself. And that's what's really important. So these are not John's personal opinions or ideas about God. This is God's message about Himself. And John says, which we have heard from Him. You know, we can't be confident in our own opinions or in our own ideas about God unless they're founded on what God has told us about Himself, can we? 
Well, this is something that I just love about the Apostle John. Because he lays out to us more clearly and more straightforward than anybody else in the Bible regarding who God is. For example, in John's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 24, John reveals to us the words of Jesus when he says, God is spirit. Now that tells you something about God, doesn't it? He's not flesh and blood like us, but He is Spirit. And then He goes on to explain, and those that worship Him must worship Him in Spirit and in truth. Now later on in this epistle that we're going through in chapter 4, John reveals to us that God is love. And that speaks to us of God's very character. That he is love. And here we see in verse 5, he reveals that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And that is an incredibly profound statement. Let me explain why. And we need to first wipe away this idea from our minds. This idea or concept that primarily has come to us from Eastern religions where they teach that God is both light and darkness. God is both good and bad, plus and minus, positive, negative, yin and yang. That all of these things come together and the totality of it is God. Everything that's good, everything that evil, that's evil, that's God. Everything is God. My friends, that's not the biblical understanding of who God is. The Bible says that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness. None at all. He is totally light. And this has real implications for our walk with Him because I'm going to be blunt with you here. If there's something wrong with your relationship with God, do you know whose fault it is? Well, it's not His. He is light, and in Him is no darkness. It's our fault. If there's something not right, not flowing, not intimate, not straight in our relationship with God, it's not His fault. He is God. He's incapable of sin. He's incapable of darkness. And we know that darkness is the absence of light. And because God is light, in Him there is no darkness at all. My friends, we need to latch on to this because sometimes we doubt that. And this brings us to a big question that has bothered people from time immemorial. Why do good things happen to bad people? Or how about ba backwards? Why do bad things happen to good people? Let's get it right. And that, my friends, could fuel many, many messages just by itself. I remember a book written by a Jewish rabbi, rabbi seeking to grapple with this question. His name was Harold Kushner. And it was called, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. 
And do you know the answer that he came up with in his book? Like, get this. I quote, God just can't fix everything. And we have to be understanding towards God. We have to forgive Him. Can I just tell you that any approach to a relationship with God that assumes or even implies that God might be wrong or weak or that perhaps God must be forgiven by us, man, it's just not there. And quite frankly, it's blasphemous and directly contradicts God's Word. You do not have anything to forgive God for. He is light. In Him is no darkness. If there's trouble with you and your relationship with God, it's not His fault. Now it reminds me of a story of this old couple driving down the street. They're driving one of these big old Buick type cars, you know, with the big bench seat across the front. And the husband's driving and the wife's sitting way over by the other door. And as they're driving, she sees all these young couples coming the other way. And they're all snuggled up together and, and as they drive. And you know, it's so romantic. And the wife turns to her husband and says, We used to ride like that all the time. Why is it that we're so far away now? And the husband, who was a man of very few words, looked at his wife and said, well, I didn't move. And that's how it is in our relationship with God. If you're distant from Him, it's, because, it's not because He's moved. It's because you have. And we really need to grab a hold of that idea. And here's the application. Let's look at verse 6. It says, If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Look, it's easy to connect the dots here. If you claim you have a relationship with God and yet you walk in darkness, you're not telling the truth. God has no darkness at all because He is light and you cannot walk in darkness then and have fellowship with God. And let's be clear here. Anyone can say that they have a relationship with God, right? But what we really want to know is their truth to that claim. And John's going to tell us one way, not the only way, but one way that we can see if there's truth to that claim to having fellowship with God. Now please notice the words that he uses in verse 6 very carefully because this is essential and you have to grab on to this. He says, walk in darkness. And this is essential because every day each and every one of us sin. Every day each and every one of us falls short of the glory of God. Whether in what we say, in what we do, or in what we think, in some way, every day. 
And you might be tempted to think, well, look, if I sin every day, if I have something that I need to be forgiven of before God every day, am I walking in darkness? And John would say no. Because the word walk has behind it the idea of a pattern of living, of habitual sin, of something that you live in, of your environment. He isn't speaking of an occasional lapse, but of a lifestyle of darkness. And if your life is a lifestyle of darkness, and if you say you're having fellowship with God, then you're not telling the truth. Now, you may be deceived, or you may know you're lying. But the bottom line is that you're not telling the truth. So John is not saying that a Christian may not temporarily walk in darkness, but if he is consistently and constantly walking in it, then his claim to fellowship with God is a sham and a lie. My friends, I want to ask you this morning, are you in fellowship with God? I'm not asking if you're saved. That's another issue altogether. But I want to know, are you living in fellowship with God? Are you living a life of fellowship with God, of a relationship with Him? Is there a living, breathing, active relationship between you and God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ? And it's really very easy for you to know. If you're walking in darkness, then you're not in relationship and fellowship with God. When John continues this thought in verse 7, he says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So it says here that if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship. But look at who He says we have fellowship with. Look at that again. It says one another. Now, you would expect Him to say that we would have fellowship with God, right? If we're walking in the light as He's in the light, we'll have fellowship with God, right? But instead he says, we have fellowship with one another. So what John is really saying here is that if you have a relationship with God, you are going to have a relationship with God's people. That's all there is to it. And I know that that ruffles feathers of some people. And they're the ones that say, you know what, I love God, it's just His people I can't stand. And if you are one of those people, let me just say there's something wrong there. Look, I know that there are all kinds of obstacles to fellowship with one another. You've probably been hurt by other Christians. You've probably been burned by other Christians. Other Christians may have spoken evil against you or mistreated you. And I'm not trying to deny that that hurt is there or that you shouldn't feel wounded but what john is saying here is that there's a greater fact than the pain that you've received and that is you're walking in the light 
and you have fellowship with the same God that they're having fellowship with. And so he isn't denying that there's not things that come in and potentially hinder our relationship with one another. But friends, you have that greater fact in Jesus Christ than any of the other things. And then he says at the end of verse 7, this is so great. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. In other words, if you are walking in the light, then you have a continual cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ in your lives. Now, you may not be aware of this idea, but you and I need to continually, and we need a continual cleansing in our lives. In Romans 3, 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the verb tense that Paul uses here really means, for we all continually sin and fall short of the glory of God. And we all do. Look, you probably have sinned since you woke up this morning. Maybe you had an argument with your wife. Or you yelled at your kids to get ready. Or you got angry at a slow-moving vehicle on the road. or Maybe none of those things. Now, when I wrote out the message, we were still planning on a worship service in person. But let me ask you this. Have you glorified God perfectly from the time you woke up this morning until right now when you're sitting here? Well, of course not. I mean, how could God expect me to glorify Him before I've had my first cup of coffee, right? Please understand this. God is worthy of perfect glory, of perfect praise, of perfect honor from us. Now, when we had our time of worship this morning, I trust it was meaningful. But even if it was the most wonderful time of worship that we have ever had, can anybody here say that they brought a perfect sacrifice of praise to God? That your mind was not distracted by thoughts other than worship. And whatever it was on your mind, you were distracted at least temporarily and you didn't bring a perfect sacrifice of praise. I didn't bring a perfect sacrifice of praise to God. I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And do you know what that means? It means I need to be cleansed. I need to be continually cleansed. You know, one of the most beautiful pictures of this is when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. It was right before the Last Supper. Jesus is washing the disciples' feet and finally He gets to Peter and Peter says, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. And what does Jesus say to him? Peter, if I don't wash your feet, 
then you don't have anything to do with me. And of course, Peter being the you know, obsessive, compulsive guy that he was, he says, well then Lord, wash my whole body. But it's what Jesus says next that's the key here. Look at John 13, verse 10. It's, Jesus says, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. And that is how it is when we have our sins forgiven by God. We give our lives to Him. He cleanses us from our sin and it's glorious. And you really are changed. You really are a different person. But my friends, every day you're walking around in a dusty world. And your feet, so to speak, get dirty, don't they? And they need to be continually cleansed, continually washed. And this continual cleansing is ours in verse 7. It says, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to understand something here. It's not the literal blood of Jesus Christ that makes you clean from sin. But it is the literal his literal death in our place that is. Taking that literal wrath of God for us. And my friends, His blood paid for our sins past, present, and future. Can I just bring a word of comfort to you this morning? And please listen carefully. The work of Jesus on the cross doesn't just deal with the guilt of sin. The guilt that may send you to hell. But it also deals with the stain of the sin that would hinder our continual relationship with God. We need to come to God often with the simple plea, cleanse me by the blood of Jesus. Not because we haven't been cleansed before, but because we need to be continually cleansed to enjoy continual relationship. In other words, we need to keep short accounts with God. But I want you to look at the last two words of verse 7 to bring this point home. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from what? All sin. Do you really believe that this morning? There's not a single reason why anybody needs to walk out of here this morning haunted by the guilt or the cloud of your sin. It can be forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And we could list every sin that you could ever think of. And it is all included in that word, all. Lying, stealing, cheating, adultery, swearing, drugs, booze, promiscuity, murder, you name it. All cleansed by the blood of Jesus. One last thing in verse 7 before we move on. 
And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. I want you to notice the verb is in the present tense, not the future. He doesn't say one day we might be cleansed. No, it's an accomplished fact. I don't have to hope that one day I will be cleansed because of what Jesus did. I can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus today. Right now, I can receive it. Isaiah 1 verse 18 says, Though your, skis, or your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. The stain of your sin can be removed and your relationship with Him begun. Well, John's going to talk more about this idea of confession and cleansing. Look at verse 8. It says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I think we need to think very carefully about what John is saying here. Let me illustrate this point for a moment. If we were to walk downtown Okotoks and interview people on the street, and we put the microphone in their face and asked, do you believe you are perfect? I honestly believe there would not be a single person who would answer yes to that. But if you were to look them in the eye, put that mic in their face and say, do you believe that you are a sinner? I bet you would get a much different reply. You see, we can all agree with that idea well, that, well, I'm not perfect. Look, I make mistakes. I'm not perfect. I'm only human. But let's be honest, when we say things like that, what are we really doing? We're excusing ourselves. We're defending ourselves. It's an entirely different thing to come right out and say, I am a sinner, right? And to say that I have no sin and to refuse to acknowledge that I'm a sinner puts us in a very dangerous place. Do you know why? Because to whom is God's mercy and God's grace extended to? Sinners. And if you don't recognize that you are a sinner, you're not going to receive God's mercy and grace. My friends, it doesn't say God's mercy and grace is extended to mistakers. Or the I'm the only human crowd. Or the nobody's perfect crowd. It's extended to sinners. And we need to realize the real victory, the real power, the real forgiveness that comes from saying, I'm a sinner. I'm a great sinner. But I have a great Savior who cleanses me from all sin. And so I believe that Satan has two distinctly different strategies here. One is to convince us that we are not really sinners. 
that we're just mistaken or we're, we're the not perfect crowd or the I'm the only human crowd. And if he can convince you of that, he's really done something. But the other strategy is to convince you that you are a sinner and then lead you into despair. But the most beautiful place for me is that I'm a sinner who has a great Savior and His name is Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, John continues on that thought from verse 8. And he continues it in verse 9 and it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this, my friends, is one of the first passages of Scripture that I ever memorized as a kid. And I say, if you don't know this one by heart, you better learn it. You better learn to be able to say that simply, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it begins with confession, doesn't it? You see, if sin is present, it need not remain a hindrance to my relationship with God. I can find complete cleansing. I can be cleansed from all unrighteousness as I confess my sin. And to confess simply means to, to agree with God about it. Do you agree with God regarding His opinion, not yours, His opinion of your sin? Look, Jesus told a powerful story in Luke chapter 18. I love this story. About two guys who came to pray. One of them was very religious, the other was not. In fact, he was a notorious sinner. So the religious guy stands before God and says, Lord, I thank You for what a godly man I am. I thank You for all the good things I do and all the people that I help. And most of all, I thank You that I'm not like this filthy sinner standing next to me. And after this, the Bible says, the sinner came and began to beat his breast. He was so moved that all he could say was, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus then asked the question, which of these men went home justified? The sinner. Why? Because he agreed with God about who he was. Now, when the religious man was out there, you know, standing there and spouting off and telling God how great he was, what do you think God was doing? You think God was agreeing, nodding his head from heaven? <laughs> God was saying, come on, hero. <laughs> Who do you think you are? But when the sinner said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, God said, you're right. That's who you are. And I give you my grace and my forgiveness. By the way, when John says, if we confess our sins, 
The term there is in the continual sense, the verb sense. In other words, he means if we keep on confessing, if we make a continual confession. And friends, our entire lives should be a continual confession before the Lord, continually asking for forgiveness. Now, I need to touch on a point that may seem a bit abstract to some of you, but I think it's important for me to make this. Please understand that our sins are not forgiven because we confess them. If that were the case, then a sin would not be forgiven unless you confessed it. My friends, if you confessed every sin that you have ever committed, every time that you have fallen short of the glory of God, frankly, there's just not enough time in our days. You would be doing nothing else but confessing, and then you still wouldn't get it all. And what if there was that one sin that you forgot to confess? then you'd end up in hell because you didn't get the, the forgiveness for that one sin. So then why does John put an emphasis on confession here? Because confession is vital to maintaining relationship with God. This is the context that John is speaking from. And there are some of you here this morning hindered in your relationship with God because there's sin in your life that you won't confess before Him. And you know what? I don't even have to tell you what it is because you know right now. Because the Holy Spirit is speaking, if not shouting to your heart, saying, confess that sin before me this morning. My friends, you have to confess that sin. Why? Because you'll go to hell if you don't? No. Not talking about that at all. It's because you won't have relationship with God the way you need to have relationship with Him. Until you confess that sin, receive His cleansing, and have fellowship restored. And you know what? You need to be specific when you're confessing to Him. Don't wimp out. I've heard people go, God, if there's anything I've done to offend You, please forgive me. No. Be like the tax collector. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Make it plain and straightforward and call yourself for what you are. And throw yourself on the mercy of God's justice and His court, and He will forgive you. Because did you see what He says in verse 9? It's so glorious. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the word all again. Because of the work that Jesus did, the righteousness of God is our friend. And He would be unfair not to forgive you. 
So my friends, we have this glorious, glorious promise. Now he concludes here in verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in, in us. I think every one of us should be uncomfortable with the idea of calling God a liar. But friends, if we say that we have not sinned and that we don't need this continual cleansing of the blood of Jesus, we are calling God a liar. And I like how John ends this section. He says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now if you remember from last week when we were talking at ver through verses 1 through 4, John told us who the word of life was at the end of verse 1. And the word of life is Jesus Christ. So I think it's interesting how at the end of verse 10 where he says, if we deny that we've sinned, his word is not in us. I wonder if Jesus is in us, if we're denying that we're sinners. What a glorious promise we have before us this morning. You can be forgiven. You know, I wonder if there is a more terrible word in the English language than the word unforgiven. A person is unforgiven. There's no chance. There's no cleansing. There's no restitution. My friends, the Bible says that you can be cleansed and forgiven. And that cleansing was provided by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And as we come now to the table of the Lord, we remember what the Lord went through in order for us to have relationship. Jesus sacrificed Himself on the cross to pay our penalty of sin. And this morning we want to take a few moments to remember and reflect on that. And before we partake together, maybe the Holy Spirit is aiming that spotlight on you. Maybe there is unconfessed sin that is impeding your relationship with Him. I urge you to take this moment right now and make things right with Him this morning as we come to the table in, a, in an attitude of prayer. Let's just take a moment just to pray silently before we partake together.